Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 451 of the podcast. It's Carrie here. I hope our time together today helps you thrive in life and leadership. Max Lucado joins me for a wide-ranging conversation. Anybody who writes on a semi-regular basis, you're going to love this episode. Plus, we uh, talk about all things Max. You know he sold over 150 million books? Yeah. Think about that. So I ask him what some of the keys are. Anyway, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Pro Media Fire. You can join me, Bob Goff, Nona Jones, and Tim Timberlake for the free five-day social media growth challenge. Register today at socialmediachallenge.com and by World Vision. Sign up for their free web series, Right Side Up Soul Care with Danielle Strickland at worldvision.org slash carry. Well, Max Lucado and I are going to talk about leadership insecurity. If you've ever felt a little bit insecure, and my goodness, these last two years, like, yikes, pushes all your buttons, all my buttons. Uh, so if you get a little bit of insecurity, well, Max struggles with that. So have I, and we'll talk about it. Talk about how to replenish your content well with fresh ideas. A lot of you do communicate for a living, or you preach for a living, or you have to come up with ideas for a living. How do you replenish that well? And then what are some keys to effective succession? I really believe that succession can be a crisis, not only in the church, but in business. And Max talks about how he did it well. We compare some notes. He has sold over 150 million books to date. He is a pastor, speaker, and best-selling author. And uh, his books have been translated into 45 languages, distributed in 80 countries around the world. He entered ministry in 1978. And as a writer, he is known for combining poetic strategy and homespun humor with the heart of a pastor. We also talk about his latest book through a leadership perspective. Would you like help with growing your church or nonprofit online during this holiday season. And if you're not online, it's really hard these days. You know that. If so, I want to invite you to ProMedia Fire's free five-day social media growth challenge starting October 25th. In the social media growth challenge, this is what you're going to learn. You're going to learn how to turn social media from frustrating into amazing content created in seven minutes a day or less. We'll teach you how to launch a simple social media initiative that will stop the scroll and drive growth this holiday season. And for churches and nonprofits that are growing online, you'll learn how to grow and scale through the power of a proven next step digital framework. So I'll be there. Bob Goff, Nona Jones, and Tim Timberlake will all be there. And thousands of mission-driven leaders will also gather for the Social Media Growth Challenge. It's a transformational five-day learning experience. It's live and it starts next week. Register for free at socialmediachallenge.com. Also, we know how tough this season has been, and a lot of you are probably going into the last quarter where we are right now of 2021 limping. Uh, you have been through so much. And my question is, how is your soul? Well, as you know, leaders around the world have been struggling, and a lot of Christian leaders around the world have suffered often far more deeply than we have experienced in the West. Well, World Vision invites you to listen to the voices of leaders from around the world along with Danielle Strickland in this new series called Right Side Up Soul Care. World Vision is concerned about your soul, and uh, so am I. 
So in this free web series, Danielle and leaders in the global church will share how they've learned how to practice their faith and feed their soul through extremely difficult circumstances. You can sign up today at worldvision.org slash carry. That's worldvision.org slash C-A-R-E-Y. Well, with all that said, let's dive into my conversation with Max Lucado. Max Lucado, welcome back. Such a thrill to have you. It's my honor. Hello, hello. It's good to see your face. I just wish we were in person. I wish we were in person too, you know, but I love, I love, I think this is your third time on this show. And I love um, interviews because I get a chance to ask different questions and re-ask questions and think about things. And I wanted to start with something that I want to explore a little bit more because we have a lot of content creators listening and certainly people for carrying a message, a lot of leaders, a lot of pastors, obviously, and writers like me, like you. I mean, there is, you're, you're prolific. When, when or how did you know you were a writer? Hmm. Yeah. You know, that is a good question. I think, I think the, um, I think I knew I was called to write books after I wrote my first book and was excited about idea number two. And then barely idea number two had gone off and I had idea number three. I've got kind of a working philosophy on writing that everybody has a book in them. And there's a few of us that are called to write books. But I really think everybody's got a great story. Yeah, that deserves to be captured on paper and preserved, if for no one else, at least their own family. So I, th- I really think everybody's got a story. I do think there's a handful of us that that just our assignment in life is to is to turn out books, you know, to take ideas and try to articulate it clearly on paper. And so my first book came out in the mid '80s, and b- literally within a, a week or two, I had an idea for the next and the next. And I thought. I, I think this is more than just one or two books. Going back there, how did the first book do? Was it uh, a runaway success? Was it like a slow start? It was a disaster. It was a disaster. I mean, it it it, it was um, it is still in print. Um, I, in fact, funny you should say this because just day before yesterday or earlier this week, I got a royalty check for two hundred and eighty bucks. For the entirety of last year. <laughs> <laughs> On that book? You know, I could fill up my car a few times off of that first book th- This right now. So it's still, it's still in print, but just very few people are buying it. And I don't blame them. It's I not a great blame book. Them. It's not a great book. But, you know, Tyndale House published it. Uh, I was living in South America at the time. I was, I was a missionary. And I had an idea uh, for writing a book, and I went to my little library, and I copied down addresses of publishers, and I found 15 different addresses, and I mailed that manuscript out at the same time simultaneously to 15 different publishers, and I literally got 14 rejections, Uh, and some of them were kind of the standard rejection. We don't read unsolicited manuscript type thing. And then there were three or four that said, we read it. We don't think it's quite there, but, you know, thanks for thinking of us. And then I got, lo and behold, in fact, it's still framed, hanging over my left shoulder, a letter from um, Tyndale House Publishers. And they said, we're happy to inform you that your book has been accepted for publication. 
And uh, so that's how it all started. Uh, it it just was a little slim volume, and uh, that but that opened the door. That opened the door. Whoever made that call probably got a promotion. It was a good call. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm the one who said yes to Max Lucado. He, he's a good man. Wendell Hawley is that man's name. A good man. He was in publishing forever and ever. Ah, that's incredible. I question his taste, but he was a kind man. <laughs> <laughs> Max, it's interesting. I mean, it's easy to look back. And I think a lot of us who who lead and produce things, we look back, like whether you're manufacturing a product, it's a... You look at your prototype at the beginning and you're like, oh, I can't believe anyone bought that. Or your first yeah. design, it's like, ooh, I'm embarrassed. Take that off the internet. At the time, did you know it was bad? Like at the like time, no. did you know? No. That's a great, what a great, what a perceptive question. Yeah. I, I guess I thought it was okay, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it did go through an editorial process. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. apparently they thought it was okay. Uh, but I, I really am a harsh critic of my own stuff. I don't, mm. I don't think I've ever gone back and maybe you ha- I, I, do you, I, I don't think I've ever gone back and read entire book that I've written. I've read snippets. Only, only for the audio book, Max, only for the audio book. And only because it's hard. It's kind of embarrassing because you want to keep changing stuff. Like, do you suffer with that? Like you go back to something you wrote a decade ago and you're like, could have made that better. No doubt, no doubt, and and I could have stated that more clearly. Or what were you thinking about when you tried to turn that phrase? So you suffer from the same uh, being your own worst self critic. What? But but okay. Just for context, I know we'll have this in the intro extra by the time this happens. But do you have any idea what your running tally as of today? You know, third quarter, almost twenty twenty one for numbers of copies sold would be in the books you've written. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much up there. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah, up it's, there. It's up there. I it's think it's there. 150, 150 million. 150 million. Yeah. I just, I want leaders to hear that because I think it's so easy to quit in the early stage, um, or to look back and say, well, don't, don't publish that anymore or just be a harsh critic. I'm exactly the same way. I look back at certain sermon series and I'm like, what were you thinking? I, I was actually organizing my garage and I found all the old cassette tapes and CDs <laughs> from back in the day. And I'm looking at these series and I know there's some gems in there. Like God used it. It was, it was incredible. But, you know, if I was doing it again today, I'd do it so differently. Um, but let's talk about what I, I, I use the metaphor content well. So I get that question a lot. You, you asked me when we, before we started recording, how many years have you been doing this? How many interviews have you done? And interviews are easy because all I have to do is ask the questions and shut up. You know, it's not that hard. But when you're writing a book, you're still preaching, right? You're still preaching on a semi-regular basis, Max? Yeah. And yeah. you started still, preaching when? What year? I, 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 um, I came to the church where I've been all these years in 1988. Mm-hmm. When I lived in Brazil, I I preached almost every weekend for about four years. Of course, that was in Portuguese. So I had never had a a position in a church until I came here in 1988. So that's incredible. Yeah, I've I've loved it. And it's, it's, I I shouldn't say I've loved it. There have been some really hard times, Hmm. really, really hard times. But I'm at that wonderful stage where, you know, when you back away and you look up at the mountains and all you see are the mountain peaks, you know, there's valleys, but you're far enough removed that now you're just starting to see the mountain peaks. 
Uh, I'm I'm kind of at that phase uh, with the church here. Uh, they still let me preach about 20 times a, a year, which is plenty for me. But I'm not in charge of anybody or in anything, and I, I, and so it's it, it's it's a bit of a uh, uh, almost another honeymoon. I, I mean, I'm really loving the church now, and I know it's because I'm not down in the nitty gritty trying to decide if we're going to cancel the online Saturday night service because we're in COVID. I'm not having to live with the weight of those decisions, uh, but I, but I, I, I'm enjoying the role that I have at the church. Yeah, and we're going to get there because I do want to talk about succession and and all of that. But I want to I want to tap on writing a little bit more. So I think of it as a content well. So really impressive. You've been really speaking to the same group of people for over three decades now. If my math is right, that would be about thirty three years, which is an awful long time. And you know they know all your jokes, they know all your stories, <laughs> they know your bent, they know your illustration, and yet you've got to. For those of you who don't preach, you've got to come up with fresh content every day, and you're still publishing books. You still have ideas. Do you have an idea right now for your next book already? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the next book is finished. Okay, um, of course it is. <laughs> and, <laughs> of course it is, Max. It, but right now I'm working on the one after this one. I, I can't wait. I hope you'll have me back to talk about. Jake. I'll have you back. In about two years, it's going to be two years, we'll talk about Jacob. Next year, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit and Jacob. So you're two books ahead and your new book on Esther just released, which we'll talk about. Let's talk about content well. Um, it's interesting. I seem to have an, a bottomless to date leadership content well, but I found my preaching content well ran dry, which is why I pulled myself off the preaching team at our church. Just, I had a couple of ideas left, but I'm used to having two or three years of ideas left. So I'm like, listen, before I'm scraping the bottom of the well, looking for a drop of water, and it's not like my faith is intact, all that stuff's intact. I would say, actually, I'm spiritually in a really good place right now. But I'd love to explore this idea of where ideas come from. Let's just leave it there. Where do your ideas come from? How do you capture them? And how do you know it's worth saying? I... I I love this conversation, by the way, and I think it's I think it's a conversation too seldom had, yeah, uh, where people get ideas, how they frame ideas, how they capture ideas, and what what all is involved in the mechanics of of uh, really presenting ideas well. So thank you, Carrie. Thank you. I, I think this is really a, a core issue. My notebook's open. I I want to hear the answer. Oh, well, okay. So I. I think we identify like you have identified an audience, um, and and you you're doing a masterful job of bringing together uh, leaders of industry and business as well as pastoral leaders and letting them kind of have a I don't know a, a gathering spot uh, where where they can share their best ideas. I, it had dawned on me, Carrie, uh, about. It's probably been 25 years ago, though, but it dawned on me that my audience, I like to write books for people who don't like to read books. That's kind of my working phrase. I like to write, I like to present sermons for people who don't want to be in church. I don't know where I dawned, that dawned on me, but, but I just sensed that the people who were really responding to my message were often pre- uh, presenting their feedback with a phrase like, hey, I don't typically read. 
but I really liked your book. Or my husband never goes to church, but when you talk, he, he tunes in. So, so that really helped me, Carrie, because I was thinking, okay, I'm supposed to be a, and your pastor audience will know this, uh, I'm supposed to be a John MacArthur. You know, I'm supposed to be kind of Mr. Doctrine. Mr. Verse by verse. And, and so I tried that. I tried that for a while. Uh, I, I tried several different, I tried being Mr. Rick Warren for a, quite a while. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I would listen to Rick's sermons and I would, you know, try to have 18 points in my <laughs> sermons. <laughs> like Rick I hope you're listening, Rick. <laughs> I love he, Rick. He might be. I love yeah, Rick. Yeah. So, so, you know, it, we all have to take a bit of, time before we figure out who we are. Right. And and so it, it, once I realized this is my lane, then that's good. That's, that's my lane. I, I'm not an apologetics preacher. I'm really not an academics preacher nor writer, but I can, I, I can really feel like I can connect to that person hmm. who says, I don't want to go to church. Oh, Lakato's preaching. Okay. That's payday for me, Carrie. <laughs> That's payday for me. Or when a guy or gal uh, come up to me and or they write me and they say, I don't ever read. I, I, I'm too busy or I'm not into books. But you know what? I picked up your book and it, and it connected with me. So with that mindset, okay, then I can go into a story. Like I can say, we're in the middle of COVID. We're in the middle of this global pandemic. Is there a story in the Bible that would speak to people who don't read their Bibles, people who don't want to be in church, people who don't pick up books. And so that's really where the story came from that, that this book is about, the story of Esther, uh, because that's a story of a global crisis. It's a story yeah. of, of, of terrible misogyny, misogynistic leadership. And so everything about it seemed to connect with what we were going through, horrible racism and oppression. And so I thought, now if I could take that story and, and, and make it where it's palatable, digestible, accessible for, for people who don't want to pull down a commentary on the book of Esther, then that, that then I, I, I would like to do that. That's a really long answer to a very good question. No, that's, a, that's great. And you know what? You reminded me of one of the things I most loved about preaching. It was always the person who wasn't in the room, the person who got dragged there, the person who was against their will, the person whose mind I was trying to to change, almost like being in court, right? Everyone, if you're in court, everyone's against you. The other side's against you, right? Uh, the judge, you're not sure whether he or she is going to rule in your favor. So it's kind of like, well, here we go. Got to come out swinging nicely, but come out swinging. Um, as far as ideas go, though, right? I mean, doing this for three and a half decades and writing for just as long, 150 million copies sold, which is just mind-boggling. Um, and if you know anything about books, it's even more mind-boggling when you understand how hard that is to sell that many books. How do you capture your ideas? Like, how do you how do you know? Oh, this will ship, or yes, I need to teach about this. And then, how do you capture that? The um, first step for me is to uh, test ideas with people. Um, for example. You, you, you were. You remember where you were in February of 2020? You mentioned that you were in New York City. Well, yeah. guess who else was in New York City in February of 2020? You were. 
I was. I was. Awesome. I was there of the most bizarre reasons. I, I, I'm getting to an answer to your question, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I have a very a, a good friend, lifelong friend, whose daughter wanted to get married in New York City on February 29th. There's a trivia question. 2020 was a leap year. Uh-huh. And so she thought it would be cool to get married on leap year on February 29th and do it. And then her second, which she wanted to get married in Brooklyn. So I found myself in New York City on February 29th. And we remember that New York City was really the epicenter for all the, uh, I saw some masks for the very first time on that Saturday in Mm -hmm. February of New York City. The night before, Dean and I had gone out to dinner in the typical New York City restaurant where that you're crammed in shoulder to shoulder, you know. And so I've often looked back and thought, man, I'm I'm grateful I didn't breathe too deeply that night. Who knows what was that in the air? So, to, but to answer your question, so my uh, uh, assignment, quote unquote, for the church, I had been asked to bring a series on stewardship, everybody's favorite subject, right? Uh, managing money, tithing, saving, teaching your kids about money. Well, Give all to the, guest the, preacher. Glo- the yeah. world is in this global crisis. And it seemed very tone deaf to me to come back and uh, begin teaching people about talking about money when everybody's mind was just spinning out of control with fear yeah. and anxiety. So you asked where ideas can- come from. So I came back to our leadership team. And, and I said, guys, this idea of stewardship, we got to table that. But I do have an idea. And I, and I listed off three or four ideas. Uh, one was just a sermon on facing fear. Uh, the other was a sermon, to be honest, I can't recall. And the, the third one was a story about Esther. Hmm. And I recapped Esther for our leadership team. Uh, because Esther's not anybody we really, we many of us discuss, but many have never heard or really seriously considered. And that I could just see it resonating in their eyes, both male and female. And so uh, it, it was a it was a, a test group, and and so their excitement about Esther got me even more excited about Esther. Hmm. So that's where I began, Carrie. I don't begin in New York City on a leap year, but I, wow. but I begin trying to recognize where the world is, where everybody is, and 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 then looking for a topic that connects with our uh, leadership team, and then moving forward. Do you have a note system that you use to capture ideas? Because I often find, you know, if you're on a walk or something, you think, "Oh, this is an awesome idea," and yeah. then by the time you're back, it's gone. Um, do you have a way of capturing ideas? Uh, right here, I'm, I'm, I'm a cell phone fanatic. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I keep, uh, I'm sorry I'm opening this up right here. But no, go ahead. Show just us. an example. Okay. So I'm always looking for new words, mm. right? And new phrases. So I've got this. This is about a month old. Here's what I've heard over the last month. Hobbledy hoy. I've never heard that word. No, first it's time for everything. It's a clumsy or awkward youth. Kerfuffle. They got into a kerfuffle. Tomfoolery. I heard that on, a, on an interview and I thought, oh, I want to use that word. Uh, here's a phrase. Odd as gnomes hats. 
I mean, little gnomes. Yeah, you know, yeah, little, yeah. I'm odd picturing the garden gnome. gnome. Yeah. Uh, or that person could talk birds out of trees. So, aren't those great? Those are now, great. Now, 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 somebody's reading a book and they see these in a book and they say, well, they just kind of flew out of his head or her head. or they just, No, it's not. Th- those things are solid gold. And so I've got a list here of about 50 of them um, that are fun. Psychologists might have had a field day with that family. I don't even remember where that came from. But I love that sentence. You know what I'm saying, Carrie? I do. I do. This is gold, Max. Yeah, yeah. Here's one. And that was the night he left his Garden of Eden. Oh, wow. That gets right to your heart. That does. That was in a golf book, by the way. That was in a golf (laughs) book. (laughs) About Bobby Jones. And that phrase wasn't about Bobby Jones, but it was about somebody in his life. And so I've always been uh, a collector of phrases and then a a collector of stories. Uh, Because I think that if you can embroider a a message with fine-tuned phrases and stories, uh, that tells the listener or reader he's really worked. He's he or she has really attempted uh, to to connect with me, and and uh, and so I, I, I that's where I really find my my focus. I I believe that all most of us know how to take the story of Esther and teach it. Mm. There's too many great commentaries out there. I mean, they help us. They've done the hard work. Well, where I where I come in or try to come in is I say, okay, I'm writing a book about Esther for somebody who doesn't like to read books. Mm. And so they need me to come up with phrases or stories or something to draw them into that uh, moment in history. And so that that's what I do. Uh, I try to capture stories and phrases. You know, it's so amazing because I think a lot of the time it's very easy to assume that you just think of that stuff. And as soon as you put fingers to keyboard, it just flows. But like anybody with a finely crafted skill, I'd never heard of that. Like I study words and here's my list of 50 words I'm really interested in. And at some point I'm going to use them in the future. That's such a pro thing to do. So thank you for opening your phone. Thank you for showing us that list. But uh, I have a catalog of ideas, sometimes the odd phrase, but that is that is just brilliant and an example on how to get better. Do you ever worry about um, repeating yourself too often when you produce content as often as you do, either for your congregation or in books? I I really do when it comes to books. Uh-huh. Uh, I think I think with the congregation. I don't mind. In fact, last um, summer, I preached a series on the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, that I preached back in 1992. And I told the church that. I said, you know, this this is, I'm blowing the dust off of it, but I loved preaching it the first time. I want to preach it again. And it's summertime, and I'm semi-retired. And I'm not going to use And I didn't go into that part. But right, no, right. It, 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 was, um, it was a series that I had preached before, but I didn't, I was quite, I tried to be straightforward about that. I, it didn't matter to them. Now, if I, I can't re, I can't preach something I preached 
within the last 10 years. I don't think uh, people would remember that. But 30 years, 25 years, I'm counting on a lot of turnover and some like, And a few deaths and a few births, perhaps, since the 90s. Yeah. Oh, that's so, but I do have to be careful on the writing uh, aspect. Yeah. yeah. Because there is a tendency. Uh, we, we, we have our own life messages we, we, that we tend to circle, circulate back to. And so uh, I've got uh, some people around me that are great. My Karen, my assistant, she's read everything I've ever written. I have a, I've had the same editor since about 1986. And so she'll flag something that sounds familiar. Uh, there, but to be honest, Carrie, I, there were two or three times that a story worked its way back into a book and none of us caught it. Hmm. And, and I can't even recall which story it was, but there were, um, oh, I can recall. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, I do recall now, later on, looking at the manuscript after it, I mean, after at the book, after it had gone to press, I thought, I think I told that story way back early. And sure enough, it got, so it's going to happen. Well, who's ever read every single one of your books and has that good a memory and takes the time to write you to tell you about it, they should just get a point or a cookie or something like that. Like at a certain point, it's like, if it happened that infrequently, you win, right? You win. Max, I want to get into the book. It was a privilege to endorse the book and read an early manuscript of it. You have such a way with words. And and there's one particular character that I want to drill down on because I think it's so salient to leaders. It haunts me. I told you before we got going that if I ever wrote a book about a biblical character in the Old Testament, it might be this guy who nobody knows, but I think he portrays a lot of insecurities leaders have. But I want to talk to you about succession. Uh, I think it was either the last time we talked or the time before that. You're in the midst of a succession plan. And uh, give us a little update. And uh, this is a crisis. It's a crisis in the church. Uh, Also in the business world, the majority of businesses die with their founder. They just, you know, they get sold, but there's nobody to really carry on. Or they just wind down. It's like, yep, we just closed shop and everybody went home. What are you learning about succession? I'm learning that it's um, it's a very delicate, very delicate process. Um, and I'm not going to give myself uh, a high grade on it uh, because it's, it's hard to number one, uh, w- dis- stop doing what you've loved doing, hmm. so that the the right person can step in and, and begin doing it. Um, but I, I've got three or four thoughts that are competing for my tongue, and I can't decide which one. I'm doing. We have time. Take your time. Uh, Here's here's what I would say. I would say, first day on the job, you need to start thinking about succession. First day on the job, your first your first task is to find your successor, and that's how intentional we need to be about it. Yeah. We need to be grooming up the next generation all the time, all the time, uh, and we need to be number two, very careful about building a business or building a church around a personality. Yeah. We've really got to be careful about that. You know, Carrie, uh, I'm, you're a lot younger than I am. <laughs> Not that much. 
you, we we um, we kind of cut our teeth in the megachurch era. Yeah, I can recall coming back from moving back from Brazil in our church here where I live now. I think we had about four hundred members, which I thought hmm. was huge. Oh yeah, there was a day where that was like that was a mega church. That was a major church. But then people started telling me, I can remember being in a pastor's office and he said, oh, don't you know, there's this church in Chicago and they have 5,000 people. There's this church in Seattle. There's this church in LA. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I didn't know it was legal to have that size of a church. <laughs> but what that led into, and I think all the wonderful benefits of being a large church. It's a safe place for people to hear risky messages. You can do really creative, innovative things. However, it's hard to leave a church like that. I mean, it's hard to turn that church over to somebody. And um, the phrase, buzz phrase these days is celebrity pastor. Uh, I get that. And 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 I, I think I like being liked. And so it's hard to release that to somebody who can take that baton and run with it for the next 10, 15, 20, or 30 years. Hmm. Forget my rambling there. I, That's not rambling at all. The, the two big takeaways, make it your first priority. And number two, don't underestimate how difficult it's going to be. Because we all intertwine our, our personality and our identity and our work. And, it, and it's hard to give it up. We do. How much of your identity would you say was entwined in being the lead pastor of a church? Um, I think I had a really hard time early on when I stepped away from the lead pastor role. And here's how I know. I, why it was hard for me. About a month before we Im implemented our succession plan, I can remember complaining at all the emails I got. A month after we uh, inaugurated our succession plan, my wife says, Max, now you're complaining about nobody emailing me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you hear what I'm saying? Oh, I hear so, what you're saying. So I, I, I equated my validation, my importance with being the go-to guy, but I complained about being the go-to guy. So I, I couldn't figure out who I was. And now I'm fine with nobody emailing me, but it took me a while to unplug or disengage uh, from that. Yeah, it really does. And uh, I'll just, you know, I went through the process almost six years ago now, and my successor, Jeff, is doing a great job. The church is in great shape, and we're still part of it. But, you know, it's it's hard to sometimes, and this was harder in the first year or two than it is now, but were you ever tempted just to grab the steering wheel for the fun parts? Like, you don't want all the problems associated with the job anymore. You walked away from that. But if maybe it's going in a direction you're not 100%, you wouldn't do it that way. Did you find yourself struggling with the temptation to grab the steering wheel or want to grab the steering wheel and say, hey, turn it this way? No. I, I, well, to, to, be, to be real honest, I, I was relieved 
uh, uh, due to the fact that I, writing and everything that comes with writing requires a lot of time, mm-hmm. and then pastoring and preaching requires a lot of time, um, I felt like I was getting to the point where I was not doing either of those as well as I wanted to. And so when somebody was willing to say, okay, I'll step in and lead the church and let you hang around and preach, but I'll, I'll lead the staff and the budget and the, if we need buildings. So I was really, really grateful. Now, mm-hmm. it took a while for me to um, a- adjust to that, but I don't recall really saying, I wish I could step in and, and make things go a different way. Uh, Jeff and I have talked about all that, but that must be the Enneagram 8 in me. <laughs> but that was that was in the first year or two. It's like, oh, I could go back and do this one thing. It's like, no, no, no. Just What's your Enneagram number? I'm an 8. An control, 8? Okay. Control, I can control, see that. control. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, continue to work through that. And he is doing a fantastic job and we're privileged to be part of the church. So landed yeah. in a great space. But um, what advice would you have for founders and or senior leaders who have been there for a while, other than what you've said, what is one thing about succession that nobody is thinking about enough? You've got to applaud your successor publicly. Yeah. You've got to make a big deal out of him or her. Uh, in my case, on the 20 weekends that I do preach a year, which I'm very grateful to get to do, uh, I try to, use language in every sermon. Sometimes I forget. So, but I, I try to say, I'm so grateful that our senior pastor, Travis Eads, is leading the church. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to, I want the church to hear me use that language. I want them to, if they hear me say it enough, then they'll, I think they will think that the mantle has really been passed on. And I'll also try to, the other thing is I try to make it clear to the church that I am preaching right now at the request of our senior leader, uh, mm-hmm. Travis. I want, I want them to know that as soon as Travis feels like he doesn't need me anymore, then, then I'll be, I'm fine with that. But, but, but this has been a decision from him that I'm going to preach. In this case, the story of the book, of, uh, the story of the life of Jacob this fall. Thank you, Travis, for letting me do this. So I try to say things like that. Wow, that takes so much humility, Max. Oh, I don't. Yeah. Well, I really am grateful, hmm. and I really don't want that job back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially right now. I told him the other day, I said, man, you senior pastors during COVID, you deserve hazard pay. I, I don't know how you lead a church during COVID. And so God bless all of you who've been involved, who've done this and to continue to do it during the You're here. It's super challenging, super challenging. And I love, maybe that's a conversation for another day, the obvious affection and respect that you have for Travis. And I have the same for Jeff Brody, who's done an exceptional job and uh, happy to sit under his leadership. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's talk about your book, which I was honored to endorse and read early on. And uh, maybe you never read books, you're going to read this one. Maybe you never read books about the Bible, you'll read this one. Or uh, maybe you read everything Max wrote and you're going to love this one. But it's about the story of Esther. Um, it has some parallels, but if you can give us just the brief overview of that story, 
Uh, it was one of my favorite series I did. I did it years ago. And then I want to get to Haman, the weird, the weird character. You're like, why are you asking about Haman? It's like, I think he's fascinating. I thought I had heard everything, Carrie, in my life. I have never heard anybody say that they would love to study or write or think about Haman. So I got to hear your take on Haman. Well, I'm weird. I mean, I guess. Okay, so so the story. Oh, okay, I, you know, you the said the story. You did all the research. Here's I mean, the context. I, we're, we're fifth century BC. Mm-hmm. We're in Persia. Persia is huge. Take the United States, flip it on its side, so double its width, wow. and you're getting close to the size of Persia. Uh, there are four main characters in the book of Esther, and the story reads like a melodramatic unpacking of a crisis. Uh, the first character is uh, named Xerxes uh, or Ahasuerus. Uh, I like Xerxes because every time I say Ahasuerus, it sounds like I sneezed. It so does, actually. I say it. Xerxes, Xerxes is cool. starts with an X, right? Yeah. So, Any name yeah. with two Xs in it, right, <laughs> is great. Xerxes is rich beyond imagination, literally rich beyond imagination. And he, he um, in the book of Esther, is presented as not much of a thinker, but a very good drinker, because <laughs> every time he appears, he's in a party or a banquet. He has a right-hand man, a henchman. Here's your cue, Haman. Haman, yeah. Haman. Sounds a lot like hangman, because yeah, it it's appropriate, because he's a Hitler. He's a killer. He has a, 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 a deep uh, hatred of Jewish people, which I unpack a little bit in the book, which I think is fascinating. It goes when mm. he comes from an ancestry of anti-Semites. Uh, the other main character is a man who has a leadership role in the court of Xerxes, uh, and his name is Mordecai. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mordecai doesn't tell anybody that he's Jewish, which is so interesting. Uh, Mordecai and the other Jews are about three generations into their exile. Uh, And so plenty of time, you know, three generations is plenty of time to adapt yourself to a different culture. He is so Persian in appearance, so Persian in language, so Persian in dress that he can work for the king and nobody know that he's Jewish. And he has a niece or cousin kind of, he has this niece in his life by the name of uh, Hadassah or Esther, and she is knock them dead beautiful. I mean, she is so gorgeous that when the king decides he's tired of his queen, which is another story in and of itself, he has the equivalent of a, of a kind of a star search or bachelorette contest, and she rises to the top, and she becomes queen, and nobody knows that she is of Jewish ancestry. So she sleeps with the king. He works for the king, but they hide their faith. They hide their identity until Morde- uh, until Haman, your character, decides he's just going to do away with all the Jewish people. And he demands that everybody in the world bow down to him. Mordecai refuses to bow down before Haman, and he rises up both physically and spiritually, and he remembers who he is. And he takes a stand and he begins to repent, publicly repent, literally walking around in the streets with sackcloth and ashes. 
the Queen Esther hears about what her uncle Mordecai is doing. And she says, hey, we got a good thing going on here. Don't tell everybody. What are you doing? And she sends him some clothing. And that's when he tells her what Haman is about to do, which tells me that she was leading a very cloistered lifestyle. And he he tells her, this is you, you got to help us. And then the most famous passage in the book of Esther basically says relief will come. God will protect his people. But the question is, will you be a part of it? Who knows that you have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this? And so the book of Esther unpacks their response to a Holocaust, a global calamity, and how they respond in faith. Now, the final tidbit that would help a person pick up the book of Esther and go into it, it's one of the two books in the Bible in which the name of God is never mentioned. Mm-hmm. The Song of Solomon and the Book of Esther. And it's a fascinating discussion as to why the name of God is not mentioned. And then there's no reference to a temple, no reference to the Torah, no reference really to any religious observations. Uh, they create one at the end of the book that's still celebrated today, the Feast of Purim. So mm-hmm. I think the Book of Esther is a great go-to book for somebody who finds themselves in the midst of just a crisis and they need encouragement. It's nine chapters long. It's, it can be read during your lunch break. Yeah, it can be read on a fl- short flight. And it tells you how God uses people to get other people through a time of crisis. Yeah, that's a great summary, Max. Thank you for that. And obviously, you're really brushed up on this. And of course, spoiler alert here, Esther does say something and the course of history is changed. And I think it'd be great, you know, if you're that one person in a corporate environment that's toxic, if you're in, well, actually a lot of church cultures are toxic and you're kind of the person who's trying to keep the faith or maybe you've been put in a position of of power or leadership or have voice or influence where you can speak out or um, just where it's, you're called to do the right thing and nobody's doing the right thing. So what fascinates me about Haman is he strikes me, and tell me, you could have a totally different take or, or say I'm wrong, feel free to disagree. Strikes me as a model in a study of insecurity. And, you know, on the one hand, he really enjoys being what? The president, prime minister, right hand to the monarch. So he has got lots of power and probably wields more because you're right, the king's always drunk. So he's probably actually making the day-to-day decisions. And then Mordecai will not bow down to him. And this enrages him. And then there's this like banquet where he thinks he's going to be honored. And he says to the king, hey, what would you do for the most esteemed person? And he says, well, I dress him in royal robes. He can ride my horse. And he's like, oh, this is coming to me. Tells all of his friends. He puts up this giant gallows where he's going to hang Mordecai because he hates him so much. And then the tables flip again, spoiler alert, and finds out that you know, the king says, oh no, we're going to elevate Mordecai and give him all these riches that would come to you. And it just, it strikes me, you know, I wrote down a line, talk about phrases. When I finished that study years ago of Esther, it's this line I think about a lot. Haman was completely devoted to himself. And I wrote down this line, a life devoted to self ultimately leaves you alone. And I wonder if that was just, he was just so self-obsessed, so insecure that and and I look at that and I'm like, well, what parts of me are like Haman? And there are parts of me that have to be stamped out. The insecurity, the jealousy, the envy, the 
self-promotion, the vacuousness of the soul that I see in him. And the irony is just such a beautifully written ancient text. Um, So any thoughts on on lessons that leaders can learn from Haman or your own take on him, Max? You nailed it. You nailed it. Did I? You you would agree that that's he, if, what's if, going on? If if insecure if insecurity were a cologne, he reeked of it. I mean, he he smelled of it. I mean, to demand that everybody bow down to him, mm-hmm. you know, for one thing. I mean, you know, the, the old line that I've, I've learned growing up is that if you have to tell somebody you're a leader, you're not. You know. I and do. so Haman yeah. had to tell everybody, respect me. And if you don't bow down before me, I think I'll just kill you. We've seen that through history. We do see that in in, in churches. We do. Uh, tragically, we see it in churches where churches, uh, church leaders uh, expect uh, expect to be respected and revered. The, the the challenge that I've found, Carrie, in, in church leadership, as opposed to I've never led a business, and so I'd love to hear those who have. But when somebody thinks that you are a special spokesperson for God, that can go to your head pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if, if somebody thinks that, oh, okay, all week long, God is telling him what to say to me, then he is a very special person. And uh, that'll go to your head. I mean, mm-hmm. you start believing that yourself pretty quickly. And I, I think, I think you've you got to develop an allergy uh, to that. Uh, I, 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 think, I, I think pastors have to be very, very careful in bannering about the phrase, God told me to say, or the Lord said to me, or the Holy Spirit has told me, because you're speaking to people who, uh, God bless them, they're driving, you know, trucks, they're hurrying to get their kids to school, uh, they're they're scrambling just to get the groceries bought, and here they walk in, and there's this person who, quite often, is in an elevated place physically, not always, but up on mm-hmm. a stage, and everybody else in the room is calling that person reverend or pastor or giving them some kind of title. And if you get up there and and you act like you're something special in that room, uh, you're doing a disservice. You're doing a disservice to that church. Mm. My highest call and your highest call as, as pastor or speaker is to serve those people, to serve them, to, to, to mentally be, on your face at their feet, washing their feet. And, and the minute you think, okay, I'm over these people, uh, you're, you're not far from um, incurring some severe consequences, I think, from, from God. I'm trying to be real careful here. No, I hear what you're saying, and I fully agree. I fully you got to be careful. You can get drunk on this stuff. You can get intoxicated on it. And you spend a 20 minutes in a church foyer with everybody saying, oh, you're such a good man. God bless you. What would we do without you? Oh, we think you're wonderful. Way to go, Reverend. Boy, you got me today. The Lord spoke to me today. The Lord touched you today. Oh, the Lord gave you. You're holy. You're anointed. You got you to gotta get that stuff off of you as quickly as possible. 
You 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 wear that stuff, you're going to go down. Nobody can carry that. Nobody can. Well, there's that you're, scene halfway through the book, right? Where Haman goes home and he starts yeah. bragging to his family and his friends about how awesome he is and how the yeah. next day the king is going to honor him and look at me, I've arrived. <laughs> What's your take on that? Why do you think he's going around telling everyone how phenomenal he is? Because I've seen oh, that in people. That. And I've, at times I've done that myself. Like, I'm oh, like, oh, hasn't? you idiot. Who hasn't? Who hasn't? Yeah, he goes home and he brags to his family about how great it is, how he was on the inner circle. He had dinner with Queen Esther and had dinner with King Xerxes. He must be very, very special. And <laughs> And then he decides that he's going to, I, I don't want to give away the punchline here, but he decides that he's going to kill Haman and ends up, I'm sorry, kill Mordecai and ends up uh, dying on the very gallows that he created for uh, Mordecai. Yeah. And he ends up, it, everything gets flipped on its head. It's In unreal. fact, chapter nine, I think it's verse two, uh, says, but the things turned out to be the opposite. Different translations have different ways. But that's the theme of Esther. Things turned out to be opposite, or the tables were turned. So I think it's a warning to those of us who are leaders. Uh, the best thing that we can do as communicators is join the Balaam's ass fraternity. Which Remember, is? God spoke through Balaam's ass. All pastors need a little pen. Well, we better not put a donkey on because that has political connotations. <laughs> a mule. We need a to, mule. A mule. We need a mule to put on our lapels. And, and it just reminds us that God could do this through a donkey. Mm. And he's using me as, as long as he wants. It's such a great treatment. You you have such a way with words. Now we have even greater insight into why that is. Let's wrap up. I want people to get the book for themselves. Uh, tell me just uh, where where's the easiest place to find it? Obviously, it's available everywhere books are sold, but uh, tell me more about where they can find you and your work these days. Yeah. MaxLocato.com is the go-to spot for just about everything. And um, I do my online messages there as well. Uh, and then they can, of course, Amazon carries the book as to as does Christian book distributors. So just about any place that, that you have, you like to get your books, you'll find mine. Well, I can't wait to do this again sometime, Max. Thank you so much. Thank you, my brother. You're a dear man, dear friend, and all the very best. Appreciate you. I love my time with Max. I just love it. And if you want a little bit more, we got show notes put together for you. You can get them at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 451. I want to thank all of you who share these episodes with your team, who have left ratings and reviews uh, on any platform that you're listening. It really makes a difference. We've had, once again, a banner year, a record year at the podcast. And the reason we keep doing this is because you keep sharing it with your friends, with your family. Give us, give Max a shout out on social if you enjoyed this episode. And uh, of course, we're going to keep bringing you new episodes. Uh, coming up next, we've got Erwin McManus, but also uh, Nikki Gumbel, Francesca Gino, um, Don Miller just agreed to come onto the podcast, Beth and Jeff McCord, Jessica Jackley, and so much more. But here's an excerpt from Erwin McManus. 
And I think a huge part of the dilemma is when you grow up in church life, we suffocate people into pretension because they can't just be honest about what they're really going through and who they really are. And I think a part of what we have to reclaim is the ability to create safe environments for people to be imperfect. And then you're going to have better pastors. And uh, because they didn't learn how to fake it uh, until, quote, they made it. We do talk about the future of the church, how to have more effective evangelism with people who don't believe, and why it's so hard for Christians to be authentic, and uh, a whole lot more. Hey, thank you to our partners. Uh, Make sure you check out Right Side Up Soul Care. Do care for your soul. That is something very close to my heart. Danielle Strickland will help you with that at worldvision.org slash carry. That's worldvision.org slash C-A-R-E-Y. And join me, Bob Goff, Nona Jones, and Tim Timberlake for the free five-day social media growth challenge. Register today at socialmediachallenge.com. Also want to thank everybody who's been so encouraging about my new book, At Your Best. It has been the best launch of any book we've ever done. And I think my favorite part is hearing from you on a daily basis about the difference it's making in your life in terms of freeing up time, productivity. Uh, Thank you for all the ratings and reviews on, um, well, Amazon and other platforms. Adam says, this book has impacted me like few books ever have. When I say impacted, I've changed my schedule, priorities, and the way I work. I've already asked my assistant and several others on my team to read it. Uh, I want to live a life while having a great impact. This book helped me take steps toward that goal. Another reviewer, Matt, says, amazing book. Week one, I've already seen results. Uh, Chad says, outstanding. Uh, John Tyson says, an essential read. Thank you so much for that. And so many of you are leaving ratings. And we're hearing every day from leaders who are getting time, energy, and priorities working for them, not against them. The book is called At Your Best, and you can get it anywhere you get books. And uh, by the way, the audiobook is selling really well on this one. I narrated it myself. So for those of you who enjoy podcasts, you might enjoy that. But of course, it's also in hardcover and uh, an ebook version on Kindle and other platforms like that. So would love to help you get time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. Make sure you check that out if you haven't. And uh, hey, I do an awful lot in addition to this podcast. I do things pretty much on a daily basis over at kerryneuhoff.com. And I also send an email out to about 80, I think it's about 83,000 leaders uh, these days. And if you'd like to explore more beyond the podcast, head on over to kerrynewhoff.com. I do all my writing there. And we often have guest posts too from other thinkers that I really trust and respect. And we send out a daily email. You can go to kerrynewhoff.com if you want the email. You can go to kerrynewhoff.com slash email. And uh, yeah, would love to see you over on that part of what I do as well. Really appreciate you. Hey, we're cheering for you. We're in your corner. Let us know how we can serve you. And thanks so much for listening. I hope our time together today will help you thrive in life and leadership. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.